Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Batter Listeners, welcome to episode eight of A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am once again joined by my lovely co-host Linda Surovich. Hi, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wigan. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Allison. So we are now starting with um, the state of the New York Mets. It has been possibly the Metsiest week in the history of the Mets, and that is certainly saying something but the lol mets has been turned up to like 11 this week i keep expecting to hear them announce that like matt harvey went on a bender last night and he won't be pitching tomorrow like that's kind of the only thing that could that could further mets up this week yeah and it was really only like two days it wasn't even a week <laughs> it was Monday. This all we have happened. Five more days of metsing for it to count as a full week. Yeah, what we could happen too. in five days? Oh, a lot. Don't don't yeah. give them that challenge, Maggie. <laughs> so I'll do uh, I'll do a quick summary for our listeners, and then we can decide what what low Mets item we would like to tackle first. So in summary, the Mets lost two out of three to the Nationals earlier in the week, and then got swept by the Marlins. Um, so at that point, they were, you know, one in five on the road trip and like had skidded to five games under 500. And everyone was starting to really think that this might be it for Mickey Callaway. Um, you know, they finally snapped their five game losing streak last night. But, you know, everyone was starting to think this might be the end for Mickey Callaway. Then 
we find out that Lugo is hitting the injured list with, uh, with shoulder tendonitis, which is a problem for an already beleaguered bullpen. Then we have the whole like Robinson Cano controversy, which we will tackle. Controversy I'm putting in big, gigantic air quotes. Um, and then we find out that Brody Van Wagenen is having a press conference, and we don't know what it's about yet. And everyone's like, oh my God, is he going to fire Callaway, even though he just gave him his vote of confidence, like, not hours ago? <laughs> like, everyone was like, Mickey Callaway is going to be the manager for the time being. It's okay. We have faith in Mickey. And then it was like, press conference. And we were like, okay, is he getting fired? What's happening? And then. I liked the theory. I did like the theory that um, they just gave him a vote of confidence so they could find his replacement obviously that didn't turn out to be true but that would have been that would have been very Mets and yeah I was gonna I say I don't think it might be true definitely yeah. wouldn't have been out of the they realm were leaking names like oh Mike Sosha and yep. everyone's like mm, nah yeah. yeah yeah we definitely thought it was in the realm of possibility that they gave him a vote of confidence just so they could delay firing him so that they could find out whose replacement was and then they called a prep press conference and we were like okay Yes, they're firing Callaway. Actually, the managerial equivalent of going to the mound and asking him how he's doing. Yep, yeah. yep. <laughs> my, my dad and I were actually taking bets about what the press conference was about, and I, I took, like... one. I took... Uh, oh, none of us. None of us guessed. I mean, how could you possibly guess what this press conference was going to be about? So, Which yeah. our listeners must be on the edge of their seats, right? On the edge of their seats. I had guessed it would be them firing Island because I was like, well, they gave the Mickey the vote of confidence, but what about Island? Um, but no, that's not the case, nor was any of the other scenarios that we had imagined. Instead, we find out that Ioannis Cespedes suffered a violent fall at his ranch and fractured his ankle in two places. At first, we thought that he fractured both his ankles. That was a misunderstanding <laughs> during the press conference, but it turns out it was just one Phew. ankle with multiple fractures. However... It, it it's extremely bad, folks. I mean, this is the type of thing where, you know, he's he's already rehabbing from a major surgery. He's in his mid-30s, and he just suffered another very bad lower body injury. And it's kind of like, it's definitely the end of him this year, and it makes you wonder if it's the end of him as a Met, and it makes you wonder if it's the end of his career. Yeah, it would be very, very sad because he was one of like the most fun players to watch. You know, like there was always the chance of something jaw dropping happening when he came to the plate. Like he made the Mets exciting, and I loved that feeling. And I, well, Pete kind of has that now, but like, yeah, I guess it had been Piazza maybe before that, where it was just like, oh, impending doom is walking up to the plate, and I'm, I'm. Kind of miss that feeling. Well, Cespedes was always good yes. when he was healthy. Like he's yep. never had a bad season as a Met. He's just had short seasons as a Met, and that's he, that's he tough. literally hit a home run with no feet against the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he played one game last year and hit <laughs> and hit a dinger with two broken heels. Like what? Like, like the dude just, can mash. Yeah, and it's like, it's one of those things, I said this in the aftermath of his surgery, like, everyone, you know, was, you know, understandably feeling pessimistic, because it's a, it's a major procedure that has a really long recovery time, and everyone was like, oh, I don't know if we're going to see him this year, and it's right for the Mets to plan not to see him this year, but I, I said at the time, you know, he's a monster athlete, he's a beast, if anyone can come back from this, he can, and of course, like, making me eat my words... <laughs> Um, you know, freak things like this happen. 
of course, you know, stay tuned on this because the lull Mets will continue because I have a feeling that the Mets are going to try to void his contract, um, which will be a whole nother, you know, can of worms. Yes, the question of, so the official party line, to my understanding, is that he fell from a, quote, non-horse, end <laughs> quote, um, which whew, is like the most... The most specific and non-specific phrase I've ever heard. Um, But of course, so if he did, if, if the non-horse was actually a horse, then like, yeah, that's probably something they can void his contract for. And if it's something else, they might be able to void it for that too. I, I don't know. I hate all of this because like, maybe he did something that he was per his contract not permitted to do. And that would really suck. Cause the other thing about Cespedes is like, he is absolutely the Met I would most like to have a beer with. And it's not especially close. Like there's no, there's no tight competition for that. Like, like Linda said, like, yeah, we have plenty of, you know, good players on the Mets roster. Now we have star players on this roster, but nobody gave the Mets swagger like Cespedes. Nobody. Nobody. That's gone now. Like, he was basically the swag of the Mets. Because, like, you know, like, like, um, you know, Noah Syndergaard has that a little bit. And, like... He's got attitude. Yeah. Which, which overlaps with swag, but not yeah. 100%. Yeah, that's, yeah. like, there's, like, a Venn diagram, and there's some overlap between attitude and swag, but they're, like, different things. Cespedes very much gave the Mets swag, and I mm-hmm. am sad that that will be not like, I'm just thinking about the majestic bat flips and my heart is breaking that I, I will know. not be able to see them again. I it's know. really sad. And I you know, my heart breaks. I never saw city either. Like I just wanted to see one. Like that I was know. my goal. When I go, I want to see Cespedes dinger and I, it never happened. And my heart I will breaks just never for forget game one of the NLDS, that huge dinger he hit. Oh, I yes. humble brag moment was at the game in the upper deck and I swear I thought it was going to hit me in the face it was so high and so I mean it wasn't that far because that's not how he hit his home runs he hit them up and they were just so hard hit they went out but like for sure um that was like one of the most epic home runs I've ever seen in person yeah yeah and no no one can deliver like he could nope and yeah, it's it makes me sad for him too because it's this this is a potentially career ending thing. And it, he loves this game so much. Yeah, yeah. And fought so hard for it too. Yeah, and he want and like you know, of course, like players players tend to go where the money is, of course. And the Mets paid him handsomely, but he you could tell he loved being a Met too, and that's like my favorite thing when players like you can tell how much they love being a Met because who the hell in their right mind loves this like terrible dumpster fire like we do no one like we are all like extremely messed up in the head because we like have some sort of like complex that we love this team (laughs) but to have players that love this team like we do like that that nothing gets nothing pulls at my heartstrings like that and Cespedes was one of those guys like he loved the Mets yeah it's really it's really hard to watch. Yeah, get well soon, Sus. We miss you, Sus. We hope to see you in a Mets uniform again at some point. We hope that that dream will come true sometime next year. Um, in hashtag the meantime, Team Cespedes. Yes, hashtag Team Cespedes. In the meantime, best of luck in your recovery, whatever that looks like. We hope that you can get to a place where you can play again. 
Um, and even if you can't, you can get to a place where your, your life is not significantly impacted by this. Um, and, you know, uh, kind of in the opposite personality vein of Cespedes, but still heartbreaking about Seth Lugo. Um, if fans of the pod may recall that Seth Lugo was my dude at the beginning of the season when we did the Who's Your Dude pod segment, um, that I said, you know, Seth Lugo's key to the su- success of this team, and that has been true this year, and losing him is a big blow to the bullpen, a huge blow to the bullpen. Now, the bullpen has surprisingly held its own so far, but we'll see how long that lasts. Um, Lugo is the opposite of Cespedes in the sense that he's a very understated personality, but he, you know, in that understated way, he has been, you know, under the radar, very important to this team for, like, multiple years now, like, since 2016. And he's just been there every year doing his thing, in the rotation or the bullpen and quietly being very good. And it also breaks my heart to see him go down because he's low-key huge for this team. Yeah, he's a rock. Yeah, and he didn't seem that concerned about it when they talked to him, which gives me some hope. But still, it's never good when a pitcher has tendonitis. Yeah. Especially one as important as him, too. Well, also one who I like... You know, it's not as much of a red flag as if you heard he had, like, forearm tightness. Yeah. But he's pitching on a partially torn UCL. Yep. And, you know, you you would hate to hear that, like, the tendonitis is a result of him shifting his, his mechanics or something. Like, shoulder tendonitis is bad enough. I really hope it just stays as shoulder tendonitis. Yep. Because yeah, it would certainly be very Mets if it did not stay. Yeah. Because your body parts are all connected, folks. And, like, <laughs> injuries can injuries in one area of your body can cause you to compensate in your mechanics or your gait, as, in the, case, as the case was with Cespedes and why he had all those lower body injuries because of his heel calcifications. You know, these things can have domino effects. And so it makes me nervous, even though, like, maybe if you say it in a vacuum that he has shoulder tendonitis it may not be that big of a deal but for a pitcher who's pitching with a partially torn ECL who has an injury history um who also had like spinal fusion surgery or whatever he had in his 20s um he's he's you know (laughs) he's had a lot to deal with in his career and so I really hope that he can come back soon and that it doesn't compound into something worse but I remain very very scared <laughs> of that. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, no, get well soon, Seth, too. Get well soon, Seth. I will cover the one good injury news update that we have, which is that Michael Conforto, who suffered a concussion, it has been symptom-free, which is really, really good to hear. Um, because yeah, That's fantastic news. Because watching that... And it's also that... good that the team was... was I don't want to necessarily say, like, conservative with their treatment, but they were appropriate in their treatment yes. with yeah. them. Yes, yes. Um, and so we know that we know now that he's been symptom free for a couple of days now. So that's really good. Um, so hopefully he'll be back soon from the concussion IL, but yeah, but you know, if, if it only does turn out to be a mild concussion and he ends up coming back pretty soon, that is a huge bullet dodged on the part of the Mets because looking at that collision, it looked way, way nastier than it turns out it might be. (laughs) 
you know, and they thought like he had been knocked unconscious for a second. To like, me, there it was definitely speculation that like he it. was out. Yeah, yeah, and and like, and I was watching the. Um, as you all know, I live in the the Nationals broadcast area, so um, you know, hearkening back to an earlier segment of ours, I was blacked out of the. Mets broadcast that day because they were playing the Nationals. So I was listening to the um, Masson TV broadcast, and they commented that they thought he, they were like he was out cold. Like they, they said it, they said it, they said it looked obvious to them that he was out cold. And I agree. They played the replay a few times, and it looked like he just you couldn't tell because he was wearing sunglasses, so you couldn't tell if his eyes were open. But the way he just like dropped like a sack of flour. It was terrifying. Like, you, and you didn't tell he, him. like, not break his fall? Like, no, he didn't. He just, like, yeah. flopped on the ground. Like, a sad. Yeah, if you've ever seen somebody fall to the ground unconscious, like, it it doesn't look like anything else. Yeah, and you like, can there's tell. No, you yeah, tell there's no, just, like, holding yourself up or, or flopping. It's just, like, a drop. Trying to break your fall. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. like, it's not just, like, the speed with which he fell like a sack of flour. It's, like, he hit, like, the impact on the ground was hard. Like, he slammed his jaw on the ground because he wasn't bracing his fall at all. So there was actually, like, two impacts to his head. There was, like, the moment when he hit Robinson Cano's shoulder, and then when he fell again, he actually, like, his head, like, bonked again on the ground. <laughs> Take care of your heads, yeah. people. Yeah, it's scary oh, heads are heads are rough, They're man. They're tricky. Yeah. yeah, like we've seen with Clint Frey. Sure, it took him a really long time to come back from concussions. Concussions are no joke. I mean, like no. we've seen multiple Mets that have dealt with this, and at times it's been career-ending. I mean, Jason Bay was never the same. Ryan Church was never the same. Now, you know, in, Ryan Church was in part the Mets definitely, you know, screwing that up. So it's really good to know that they're hopefully they've learned their lesson from that, and they're not doing the same thing with Conforto now. Yeah, and hopefully we've come a long way in, like, brain science, too. Like, you know what to look for and and not, oh, put him on a plane. They, I mean, they did put Conforto on a train, which was the correct move, but Ryan Church. And also, right? if oh, I may here say, a much more pleasant way to travel from D.C. to New York, if, yeah. if you're asking me. <laughs> sure. Take the train every time, y'all. It's lovely. Yeah, agree. <laughs> Um, so I guess we'll spend uh, the remaining time we have on this segment and talk about the, you know, Robinson Cano stuff. Um, I say that with a sarcastic tone. Something wouldn't tone, be anything if he had an 800 OPS right now. It's, sure wouldn't. It's the, yeah. Yeah, but the thing that you get angry about when being angry about the real thing is not helpful. Yep. Like. Even today, Todd Frazier grounded into a double play and jogged to first, and Garen Keith did not even say one Didn't word say a about damn it. Damn thing! And do you think there's nope. going to be any articles about it tomorrow? No. Nope, not there, a single one. There are several. And Todd things. Frazier's making money too. It's not just can no. Right, right. So it's not about the money. Yeah, there there are several things that influence whether a player is written about and made the whipping boy of the media. One, does he make a lot of money? That's like a yes. thing. Um, you know, so yes, Frazier makes money too, but Cano makes more money and he the Mets just took on his his giant contract and so the fans are, you know, chomping at the bit to blame him for things. So he's getting paid so much and it's the same thing with like Cespedes dealt with this too and still does. Mm -hmm. Because now that Cespedes is, you know, even more injured, of course you have the contingent of fans that's like, oh, we're getting him paid we're paying him to do nothing. Mets are gonna recoup that money, folks, either in the form of insurance or attempting to void his contract. So let's not weep over the Wilpons wallets on that one. 
Um, but yeah, one factor is, does he make a lot of, a lot of money? He'll get blamed. Another factor is, you know, is he not white? (laughs) That's another major factor. If he is not white, then the odds that he gets, you know, written about negatively in the press increase exponentially. Lazy. Yep. Lazy Um, dogging it. Dogging it. Bad influence. And it's one of those things that, like, if you look at each instance as a separate thing, you don't necessarily notice anything wrong but when you take the overarching tone of criticism of the effort level on the part of latino players it is totally different yep. than the equivalent for white players it just it just is you gotta like t- you have to take the step back look at the big picture and it's it's not a flattering one even for you know i'm sure we we love our we love our uh, our Gary Keith and Ron, but like they have fallen for this line also, and it's it's not a good look. No, it's not. And I mean, I said this a lot about obviously this is a different situation than you know quote laziness or dogging it or lack of hustle or whatever you want to call it. But I talked a lot about this in the off season about the difference in how Bryce Harper was covered versus Manny Machado in the free agent market and, you know, the type of contracts they were going to get and their past histories as players when people were comparing the two, the coverage was very, very different. And there's one very obvious reason why that was. Mm. Um, So, you know, that is, that is factor number two. Are they not white? Factor number three, are they struggling at the plate already? And Cano is, you know, he's not been the worst player on the team by any stretch of the imagination. The Mets have had plenty of players that have struggled. But, you know, compared to his body of work, he has underperformed at the plate. So Cano has sort of the trifecta of not white, getting paid a lot, and underperforming at the plate. So that's, you know, the perfect storm to get you know, hit pieces written about you when the team isn't doing well. Because this lack of hustle didn't come up until the team went one and five on the week and got swept by the Miami Marlins. Now it's suddenly a problem, despite the fact that Cano has been doing this for his entire career. <laughs> yeah, let's and the fact real. that, like, it takes a lot more than one player to get shut out twice in a row by the Marlins. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Let's be real. Cano's lack of hustle is not the reason why the Mets are where they are. Like, yep everybody slumped at the same time pretty much yep (laughs) and there's there's aside from the fact that i am frustrated by this because the three factors that we mentioned are very obvious why he's being scapegoated there are two reasons why this makes me angry one it distracts from the real reasons that this team is struggling so because Mm -hmm. we're having conversations about cano not running out double playgrounders we're not having conversations about why the mets are actually bad (laughs) you know And Uh so we're, you know, we're having these other conversations, which I'm not interested in having. And also notice the difference, too. The national media was able to report on the Wilpons, but the Beats all focused on Cano. Oh, oh, J.D. Davis home run. (laughs) I was just hoping for that. That's excellent. Yay, J.D. Davis. Yeah, four to three now because Brian Dozier hit a home run to make it three to one. But now we're winning. Yay! Good job, awesome. JD. Thank you. Heck yeah. Yay, Linda. Bring it with the uh, updates. Happy <laughs> updates. And also Dom Smith um, 
had a really solid pinch hit at bat. He did. He's been doing he a did. lot lately. Dom Smith has been, you know, very, very Clutch. solid. Very yeah, solid. Yeah. Um, but, uh, to, back to my point, though. Yes, <laughs> Thank you, as Katie. we were saying. As we but were the saying. national media has no issue going after the ownership. But the Beats all focused on Cano, focused on Frazier's beef with Eaton. And <sighs> I not a single... No, maybe they, there was one that I missed, but none of the beats I don't think had any articles today about where the problems really come from. Nope, it's you know the the outlets writing Cassin. about. Yeah, it's 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 uh, Jeff Passan, it's Rosenthal, and it's the and it's the Ringer. So it's ESPN, the Athletic, and the Ringer. These are the yep. outlets that are writing about you know the actual problem with the Mets, which is ownership and not. Robinson Cano running 50% on a ground ball. That is not the problem. And people who don't have to worry about their access. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So the second reason why it frustrates me is, and this is sort of tied to the fact that other players do this and no one talks about it, is that Robinson Cano has been remarkably healthy in his major league career, and he's 36 years old. He's doing this for a reason. He's doing this to preserve his legs to play over a full 162-game season. Obviously, he's not playing all 162 games, but he's playing 150-something games at this rate because the Mets don't give him too many days off. So, you know, except when they want to bench him for lack of hustle and not tell him that's the reason. (laughs) Um, And then he kind of outs it as he kind of was like, um, actually, that was a scheduled day off. And he said the quiet part out loud because they didn't tell him, we're pretending this is because you didn't hustle. Um, Well, and of course, every Mets... Thing that has happened this week and ever is further metsified by absolutely atrocious communication around yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. let's not forget. Is it really metsing if we don't have at least ten minutes where we don't actually understand what's going on? Oh yeah, <laughs> can we review the lack of communication this week? There was that little miscommunication where Cano was not informed that the reason he was benched was because of this controver- this peddled controversy by the media. Um, there was the, whoops, he fractured both his ankles. No, only one, but twice. And then there was also the, um, Drew Gagnon is starting. Just kidding, it's no one. Just kidding, it's Wilmer Font. Just kidding, Drew Gagnon's really important to the bullpen now, so he can't start the game. He has to be in long relief, and then he just piggybacks Wilmer Font anyway. And I was like, well, that was a fun series of events. It doesn't make any sense why they did that. Like, they literally just flipped the roles of the two. They were, like, it was going to be interchangeable either way. I mean, doesn't Ross, anybody just... talk to each other? Just... No. It doesn't... I mean, no, I, I work remotely for my job at least one day a week, and I certainly communicate better with the people who I work with than the Mets do with someone who's like two feet away from them. <laughs> no, right? Well, we even mentioned this, I think, last week. Well, Dom Smith said he was blindsided by his demotion. Like, nobody thought to tell him. Yeah, right? Like, oh, yeah, at least, like, warm him up to the idea and be like, like, set the tone of you've been so valuable for us and you, you know, we don't like to have to do this, but whatever, like, no, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a pattern y'all. You know, you got to take a situation and mess it up as much as possible. Yeah. And to make it as, as uncomfortable as you can for all parties involved. And then you got a true Mets. Yep. Yep. True Mets. So, yeah. I mean, Conforto, I mean, Conforto. 
Cano is preserving his legs for the long season. I, we on this podcast have no issue with him, you know, jogging when it's a routine ground ball. And he, it's clear that he hustles when it's important. If it's a, like, you know, legging out an infield hit when he smells a hit, when it's legging out a hustle double like he literally did yesterday. Like, these are things that he is capable of and does do when the situation warrants it. But, you know... You can't. The best players shouldn't hustle on every single play because that is going to get you hurt. Yeah, he's he's 36 and we have him for five more years. Like, what would these same people that are bitching about his lack of hustle say if he was on the if he was on the IL with a hamstring strain? They would be complaining about that. So, (laughs) you know, you can't win. Right. So, you know, we on the pod don't care if Cano doesn't run 100% every time. Let's leave that for guys like Brandon Nimmo, who we love for doing that because they're a different style of player. We love them both equally. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's been a banner week in Metsdom. They possibly have never Metsed more than this. Um, You know, but that said, even though it felt like last week really kind of felt like the end of the season symbolically, on paper, it is not actually over. They can still do something about it. They can still sign Craig Kimbrell or Dallas Keuchel. They're still out there. And now they're going to get this money back from Cespedes's insurance. So they really have zero excuse. Zero. What is money really, though? Isn't it just an idea? Just an abstract it's Just a thought. feeling. <laughs> what if... What if payroll was the friends we made along the way? <laughs> what if what if payroll flexibility was the friends we made along the way? Uh, um, when we get back, <laughs> we will have an interview, um, an interview segment for you guys um, with Emma Spann, the ma- managing editor of The Athletic MLB. So we're really excited about that. So stay tuned for our chat with Emma. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome back. Um, and now we are having um, a conversation with um, Emma Spann, managing editor at The Athletic, um, previously at Sports Illustrated and other places. Um, and we're going to ask her about what uh, it's like being at, at The Athletic and along with other things. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So um, the first question I have for you is, you know, baseball reporting has at least in our view as sort of outsiders, baseball followers, so to speak, changed a lot in recent years. And the athletic is sort of a symbolic of that change. So how do you think 
that baseball reporting has changed in recent years with the growth of new media outlets like The Athletic and the decline of sort of older formats? Well, I think there is still plenty of the older style of, of, of covering teams. I think there are still local papers and local sites doing the kind of traditional game story and, and news updates and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, we at The Athletic, it was, was pretty clear from the very beginning that if you're asking people to pay for something, it can't be what they're getting for free everywhere else for the most part. Um, and we've been trying to focus on, you know, features, on reported stories, on, you know, there is some breaking news, but more just sort of in-depth analysis and trying to bring something that, you know, that isn't going to be at a bunch of other places. And I think we actually, we, uh, this is Maggie, we had an interview a few weeks ago with um, Meredith Wills, who wrote oh, yeah. some amazing pieces for y'all about the the baseballs. And and so that, I, I always sort of will cite that as, as one of the things that you're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, that was a, that was such an interesting one too. And I was a little nervous about it because she was like, you know, I did all the experiments just like at home on these baseballs and I found this and I was like, can it really be right? Uh, um, but, you know, I think it's been, you know, it, it's been proven out pretty, pretty clearly that in fact she was right. And that was a, that was a fun one. Cause I was like, I, this seems plausible to me, but I'm not an astrophysicist like she is. So <laughs> we'll just have to uh, assume that she has what she's talking about and uh, hope for the best there. And it seems like that story is still developing, too, in 2019 now. Yes, she is working. She is currently trying to dissect some 2019 baseballs because, uh, you know, players keep keep telling us that something's going on with the baseball again. Yeah. Well, yeah, so everybody, everybody, I mean, I think the data is there, too. Like in April, how the how we were breaking all these records again. So, yeah, it definitely seems like the, then a follow up is needed to that story. We are on it. <laughs> so for you personally, um, so you kind of we were talking about like the the larger environment of baseball reporting shifting um, over the years. You personally, you were recently in Sports Illustrated. And then I think two years ago, you joined The Athletic when it was still just a little itty bitty baby in arms. Um, so what what was that like? Um, just professionally and personally taking that leap yeah I mean it actually it wasn't even two years ago it feels like it's been a long time but it was about a it was a year ago in February so still still pretty pretty new um you know it's interesting because the kinds of stories that we're trying to doing are not that we're trying to do are not that different you know the reported features are still you know are what are important in both places the the method of getting them to readers is completely different um you know SI I had a you know, I really liked, it was a very cool job. I was the baseball editor at Sports Illustrated. I was working with Tom Reducci and um, a lot, you know, better writer and a lot of great writers. Liked my coworkers a lot. But um, once SI was, once Time Inc. was sold to another company, to the Meredith Corporation, um, it was, it was pretty clear to me that it just wasn't a very stable place to be because they were, they made clear that they were going to sell it again. They're still waiting for that to happen. So they still don't know who's going to buy it. Like, it might all be fine. It might be um, Basically, everyone just has no idea. So I was there at a time. My husband was also there at um, at SI. And we we're like, we both can't be here, you know, if if it all goes to hell. Um, <laughs> so I had sort of been thinking along those lines anyway. And then um, the Athletic reached out. Uh, uh, Paul Fichtenbaum, who used to work at Sports Illustrated, and said that they needed a baseball editor. Um, and one thing that really appealed to me about it, aside from being able to focus on the kinds of stories that I like to do, is a uh, 
I really think the subscription model is is sort of the best hope we have for sustainable journalism right now. Um, you know, print journalism obviously not the way of the future, and uh, and and web, you know, the kind of free web content that SI was doing on their website, trying to be supported by ads, is just it's just not working um, in my opinion. It's, you know, ads just do not pay enough. You can't make enough from web ads to pay for you know for employees for editing for production for all that stuff so um i think you know subscription is i don't know you know i obviously don't know what's going to happen long term at the athletic but i can see a way that it could work like i can i can i think there's at least a chance that it could work pretty good chance that it could work um which right now might be the best you can ask for in the in the media business but i you know i really i really do believe in that model and and uh and think it's the best chance we have right now where do you see that going in the future? You know, so obviously you guys are putting out fantastic content right now. I am a subscriber to The Athletic. Um, and I Thank know you. that you guys have rolled out podcasts recently. So I started listening to the Mets podcast that you guys have rolled out. Um, so that's a new thing that you guys are doing. But where, where do you see this model sort of taking you in the future? Like, what do you see maybe five years down the line? Yeah, five years down the line... I don't know. I think, I think they're just trying to grow, you know, if you can just grow to, to have enough subscribers and it doesn't have to be a crazy huge amount. Um, if you can convince, you know, enough sports fans, just like not, not even a huge percentage of sports fans, because there are so many sports fans in this country. Um, you just need enough to be able to, to, you know, for it to pay for itself, to turn a small profit. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the podcasts and the video are great. They're just trying to make, I think what they're trying to do with that, they're not trying to, to move away from the written word, which is still a focus, but they want people to feel like I'm paying you this much money a year. I really, they want you to feel like you're getting a lot for your money. Um, so not, you know, that you're getting stories, but yes, you're also getting documentaries and you're also getting podcasts. Um, you know, I think that's, but they're there to support, you know, the reporting, I think, first and foremost. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's like I said, I don't I don't know what will happen, but I can at least see a way where it would work. Whereas right now I don't see the way forward for for web ads, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you're um, you're in an editorial position and in a largely male dominated field. And what um, what's that like? How's that working <laughs> for you? Um, yeah, it's, it's well, fine. obviously, uh, <laughs> um, it, you know. When I first started as an editor, I definitely had, you know, some, definitely some, some occasions where writers pushed back, where they, you know, didn't, you know, didn't want to listen to things that I was trying to tell them, where they, and I couldn't always tell if that was because, you know, maybe I was young, maybe it's because I was a woman, maybe I was just wrong. <laughs> um, you know, I started at Sports on Earth, which was um, in some ways, in some ways similar in the sense that it was trying to focus on uh you know high quality writing um but did not have the business model that that the athletic has and you know may it rest in peace um but uh yeah so i, I definitely encounter early on i have not really run into those kind of problems lately i don't know again if that's because i'm working with you know with writers who are nicer smarter less sexist um or if it's because I'm more experienced and know what I'm doing more or some combination of those two things. Um, we have a really great staff. I have, you know, they're, they're a pleasure to work with. Um, the same for the most part was, was true at SI. So, you know, I would say it was an issue at times earlier in my career, but it's been, it's been a while since I had a problem with a writer where I was like, ah, this feels like it's gender related, you know? 
That's good. And also, I mean, I'll just take a moment to plug not baseball related, but the athletic is rolling out some really good coverage of um, other women's sports, including, yes. I believe, a lot of WNBA stuff that just came out recently. Yep, they're launching a WNBA vertical with um, coverage of every team, which is which is great. Um, and Hannah, the editor who's who's running that, is awesome. And uh, yeah, it's 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 good to see. And I I I think they're going to give it every chance to 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 build and and grow an audience. I think I hope, and uh, I'd like to see it happen. And as a soccer fan, I'm really pumped about the expanded um, women's soccer coverage on The Athletic. Like, I got so excited when I saw that (laughs) that you guys are expanding your women's soccer coverage. Because besides the Mets, that is the thing I am most passionate about. So I was like, oh, right ahead of the World Cup. I can't wait. So I'm really excited about all that content. And it's been great so far. So I don't I always uh, my husband and I watch a lot of the World Cup, you know, men's and women's. And I'm I'm definitely looking forward to being able to uh, to read up on that, too. So I can pretend like I know what I'm talking about when I watch when I watch the games. <laughs> Hi Emma, this is Lynn. Um, I you've written a book. You're an author, which I am in awe of. I think that's awesome. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your book? Um, it seems like it's a more personal book, and maybe how you wrote it, what went into writing it, what your experiences were writing it. Sure. Yeah, that was kind of a saga. Um, yeah, it's called uh, 90% of the Game is Half Mental and Other Tales from the Edge of Baseball Fandom. And it, it evolved in a very unexpected way. Also, it took forever. Um, <laughs> writing a book, uh, so, so hard. Um, it was also, I think it came out nine years ago, basically. Um, but I would have started writing it 12. So I was really young. Um, it's in my 20s. I had just gotten, so I just got my first, my first job in sports. So first of all, before this, I had a day job. I was um, I was summarizing like Z grade DVDs for an online retailer. So I would watch like I'd watch like Christian karaoke, or not even watch. We would just get descriptions of and write blurbs for Christian karaoke, like anime porn, uh, all kinds of weird stuff. And um, it was really boring. <laughs> so I was totally bored at work, and I started a baseball blog. Um, to like fill time while I was supposed to be working. And through that, I got hired at the Village Voice um, to cover the Mets and the Yankees, which is insane. And I feel like it would never happen now. And I had like no sports training experience whatsoever. Um, and suddenly it was just like in the Mets locker room. Um, so anyway, based on my work at the Village Voice, I got an agent and I got a book deal. But the idea was supposed to be I would follow the Mets and the Yankees in 2007. And the publisher was like, you know, they could go back, you know, could they have another Subway series? they could book in the world series together um and then what happened is that my editor at the village voice got fired and everyone that he had hired got fired including me um so i already did the book deal but i lost my locker room access and uh so i had like all right what are we going to do now so i'm trying to still follow both teams and then if you remember 2007 uh the mets had like a historic collapse no the oh, mets didn't remember. play in 2007 they canceled the season yeah that <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm surprised you don't remember that <laughs> yeah yeah you know i was there it's so weird um yeah it was at that last game where like people were crying and the stands oh. anyway there was that and then the and then the yankees got got kicked out of the playoffs when java chamberlain got swarmed by gnats so that was not a subway <laughs> series just to just to clarify <laughs> gnats with a g Correct. Yes. yes. Not the Washington Nationals. <laughs> actual small bugs who like bothered him so much that, that I mean he that you know he he got flustered and and lost the game. So um yeah that season did not go 
the way that I had a publisher had planned. So I basically had to start over again and uh, it became a essay collection. Um, and it was, you know, I, I traveled to a few different places. I went to Milwaukee, I went to Taiwan um, because it was the height of Chen Ming Wong mania. Um, and I talked to a bunch of fans. And so it became like a, a bunch of essays about the different ways people are baseball fans and the different ways that baseball fans are insane, basically. Um, all things considered, I think like we, it was a, I'm still glad that I did it. It was like very stressful. Um, again, like if you took it at the, but I got paid for the book and spread it out over like the three years that I was writing it. I mean, I was, you know, it was so, you know, pennies on the pennies on the hour probably. And I worked a bunch of other day jobs. I was trying to freelance write, but I also um, needed like some more reliable income. So I worked at a wine store. I ghost wrote Dean's letters at uh, the American University of Antigua, which is a Caribbean medical school. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I sold mittens shaped like bear paws at the Union Square Holiday Market um, and like five other jobs that I can't even remember. So that uh, holiday market is is a wild scene. Yes. Man. Did, you, yes. did you get like in any fights? I feel like there would be fights. <laughs> Actually, no. Oh, that's well, lovely. People were pretty nice about like the problem. So there's no bathroom. So you have to like walk like, you know, across the square to like, find a store to use the bathroom so you have to rely on other stall owners to like watch the stuff for you anyway don't i don't recommend it also it's very cold uh, um you know and all the time i was trying to write the book so and it was like i said it was a bit of a saga um i feel like that answer was supposed to be shorter but no, no. don't worry <laughs> that's great yeah <laughs> uh, it was a journey it was a journey um and i don't i may one day write another book but like not for a long time <laughs> But we're all very big literary types here. So if you let us, if you write a new book, please let us know because we will definitely read it. I definitely will. I definitely will. I think I would like to do it one day, but I think I would, um, one day I'd like to try fiction again, which I haven't written in forever. But so do, again, do you, not, not do you think that's, so. yeah, do you think that's harder to write fiction? Um, I think it's harder for me. I don't know that it's like objectively harder. Um, I know for some people it's easier. I, I'm just, it's not what I, I used to write fiction when I was younger, not good fiction, um, but I, that's what I wrote. And then I, you know, became a reporter and, and now I'm so used to nonfiction that I think it would probably be a pretty big adjustment, but uh, that's what I like to read. And when I'm not, in the rare moments when I don't have to work or take care of the kid, I, uh, when I get to, when I get the chance to read, I always want to read fiction. It's a little bit of a, you know, the escapist aspect of it. You can sort of get out of your own head for a little while. For sure. I can relate to that. Um, So this is Allison, and I want to know what the shift was like, because you were talking about the Village Voice and talking about covering the Mets and the Yankees. I want to know what the shift was like for you when you started covering, like, Major League Baseball as a whole versus just um, your local teams and, like, what that sort of shift was like getting to pay attention to, like, all the teams equally and what that shift of mentality was like and how you approached it. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, you know, a, a very different way of watching the game. I still love watching baseball, but you know, the, there's no kind of fandom left in me. It's for a particular team. It's just hoping for interesting, you know, interesting things to happen for good storylines, you know, maybe for certain players that you like or stuff like that. But, um, or for anyone that we have like a story coming up on them, you know, you want them to, to, you know, not mess up the story by doing anything differently. <laughs> um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, it's fun though, you know, to, you know, turn on the TV and just look at like, okay, what's the most objectively interesting game going on right now? Or just like, what am I curious about? Who do I, who, who haven't I watched in a while? What do I want to see? Um, I'm sure I watch, you know, every team at some point. Um, 
you know, but so I still, you know, I'm, I still live in New York. I still probably follow the Mets and the Yankees more, more closely than other teams. So like, you know, I will watch, like I said, basically every team, but I don't necessarily know like the fourth bullpen guy of the Mariners, you know, the way I know it for the Mets or the Yankees. Yeah. Um, but it's fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, a low stress kind of more intellectual way of, of watching it where it's less about emotion and more just about like what's interesting. Yeah. I like, <laughs> it's funny because I sort of had that experience when I moved to Baltimore. Cause like, um, I live in Baltimore now, but I'm obviously a Mets fan. I'm from New Jersey and I like, it was nice to watch the Orioles because, and, and it would, they were good for a while. Not now. Um, they were good <laughs> right. for a while when I first moved here because I moved here in 2013. So the years like 2014 to 2016, the Orioles were very good. Um, and so getting to be like, emotionally invested but at a distance I'll call it like I'm emotionally invested because it's the city I live in but it's not my team was like really nice getting to watch baseball on like a very intellectual level and like getting invested but not too invested to the point where it like affects my mood the way the Mets do (laughs) so (laughs) I can relate to that um, Big Pete just hit a home run. If anybody and it was wanted quite to have a dong. Big Pete. Oh my god! <laughs> Although they're revealing it because he hit it over the foul pole, so we don't know if it was fair or foul. Oh, oh, no. Sorry, Emma. We yeah. we have feelings. <laughs> this is this is how rapid we are. Um, so Emma, since you um, you know you talked about you know the difference between local and shifting to national and now you get to follow all these other teams for these three very hyper-focused Mets fans uh, what is your suggestion for like a non-Mets team to follow this year or like a particular player on another team like what are your favorite non-Mets non-Mets storylines this year please save us from ourselves Emma please save us yes (laughs) (laughs) we're begging got a couple for you so obviously you know being Mets fans I will not recommend the Yankees or anyone else in the NL East Thank you. Um, yes, I think appreciate you know, it. I think the all right. Well, they're already they're already something more than they're supposed to be. The Mariners, although currently losing, uh, oh. <laughs> um, are a fun team that is interesting. They're not necessarily. In fact, they will probably not win, but they will they will be less hopeless than the Mets, probably, oh. and um, equally cursed. That but that'll feel familiar to you. You know. Yes. Yes. Um, West Coast Mets, yeah. But for a team that actually is good, uh, I recommend the Twins, who are you know scrappy underdog types, but actually Ooh. a lot of fun right now, and like legitimately good. And you know, okay, being the Twins, that yes, they are probably going to lose to the Yankees in the playoffs. Like just to warn you about that. But um, but until then, it should be a fun ride. Yeah, it was um, fun getting to watch the Twins very briefly when they played against the Mets for a two-game series. And I think that they will play them again, right, at some point, because the Mets are playing the AL Central this year, so we still have to go to Minnesota, I guess. Yeah. Um, get, to, get to see Williams Astadio, who is pretty, pretty great. Yes. he is. <laughs> the whole young crew there is pretty awesome. Yeah, they're they are a lot of fun. Um, I also watch a lot of Dodgers, because my husband is a Dodgers fan. Um, and they're less fun now, because they, they traded away Yasiel Puig. But you know, they're, they're still a, um, again, a good, an actual good team uh, who, you know, they're very deep. They have, you know, they've got Clayton Kershaw, who, who I still love watching and um, Cody Bellinger and it's just, you know, Justin Turner, who you might recall fondly from his hmm. Mets days before, before he turned into Justin Turner. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I don't know if that's like too much. I feel like they're maybe too, too rivalish for the Mets, but 
Um, but they're I've got too. some Dodgers in my bloodline, so I can kind yeah. of I can work with it. But but the Twins is a really good. That's a clutch recommendation. Thank well, you. It's yeah. also yeah. funny you mentioned the Mariners because I went to the um, the Mike Piazza induction ceremony, and there were tons of Mariners fans there, and they were all so nice. And you know, it was just interesting to see baseball from their perspective too, because um, they are kind of like the Mets. They're they're kind of cursed like they're they have the longest playoff drought so i did kind of feel a kinship with them yeah but it might not be much of an improvement i guess is the problem no (laughs) it's more heartbreak if you want to be disappointed by a different set of players fresh new faces to disappoint you then (laughs) that might be the team for you how Uh, can we resist just this just in we are are now a Mariners podcast. Mariners podcast. <laughs> Quick, who are the Mariners? I'm looking them up now. <laughs> Jay Bruce and Anthony Swarzak. That I know. Well, <laughs> there, there you go. Oh yeah, Swarzak is not anymore. He got traded to the Braves, so he's back in the NL East. Hello, Anthony Swarzak. Um, oh. But yeah, the Dodgers. The Dodgers. I mean, I still am kind of like I might hate them a little too much, but I hate them significantly less now that Chase Utley is retired. That is the main bugaboo yes. for a Mets fan. <laughs> I right. hate that, them much yeah, less than I would hate them if they had beaten the Mets oh, yeah. in 2015. Yeah. Right. right. Yep. No, that makes sense. So, Emma, where can our listeners find you on social media and various other places? Um, I unfortunately am on Twitter at... Uh, <laughs> Nobody's just, perfect. Just, yeah, just my name, uh, E-M-M-A-S-P-A-N. Um and uh, if you want dog and baby photos, then I'm also on Instagram under the same name. Uh, it's basically just toddler photos at this point. Um, and you like, do want these toddler photos, y'all. <laughs> I mean, look, I I have my own curly blonde little imp. And mm-hmm. um, I would love to just put her um, with Emma's baby in one room and, and they would take over the world. Yeah, and you know, there would yes, they would destroy everything in sight probably. Um, but in a nice friendly way. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and that's that's it. But otherwise you can uh theathletic.com slash MLB is is the site that I edit and uh go there for your national coverage of all thirty teams, including your newly adopted twins and or mariners or dodgers. Um but yeah, we have you know one one thing about the athletic, you know, even aside from the national site, like just every team is covered and, and every team has, you know, good stories on every single team. So if you're ever like, hey, I wonder what's going on with the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, we have head on over to our Diamondbacks site and uh, and find out. And appreciate that um, the athletic called out the Wilpons <laughs> even as recently as yes. this week. So yes. we're, we're always on board with um, outlets that are, you know, <laughs> have the stones to call out the Wilpons. <laughs> well, and, and, and a good fight. You know, that was Craig, right? That was Ken Rosenthal. I mean, okay. actually, I think Mark may have also called out the Wilpons. He has at various, I know he has at various points. But, uh, you know, Ken, if you read his stuff, is like, like a generally pretty like restrained and, and uh, you know, I would say almost mild mannered. And he sort of, he sort of went off, but in right, rightfully so. Deservedly so. Yes, deservedly so. Uh, but yeah, when, you know, when, when Ken, when Ken goes off, it's like, you know, you know, they had it coming. So you can check out um, all of the fantastic content over at The Athletic MLB, and you can check out um, Emma on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so thank you guys for listening, um, and when we get back, we will have walk-off wins like we do every week, so stay tuned. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back with our final segment of the week, as always, where we do walk-off wins, where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week. So, Linda, what is your walk-off win for this week? My walk-off win for this week is at my job every year, uh, we do, um, we raise baby chicks. We get eggs, and then we put them in the incubator, and then we hope for baby chicks. And this is the first year that it was on me. Well, a couple of my coworkers helped. But, um, so I was very nervous. Um, I was I was terrified that I would screw up and we would get no babies this year. And I started off on the wrong foot. I put the eggs in upside down and then I had to flip them after they had been in the incubator for a couple a couple days. And then you have to keep the humidity at a certain temperature at a certain range. And, you know, it, we were, you know, overnight it would drop really low. So we were afraid we were going to get no chicks. We had 10 eggs. And nine hatched, and they were, yeah, and I actually saw one pop out, and it was just amazing to see, to see, you know, life, basically, Mm. see the little beak popping through, and so, you know, I was very happy, this is the most chicks we've ever had, so it's like, maybe screwing up and doing everything wrong is the secret to having cute, fuzzy baby chicks, but they're leaving us tomorrow, so I'm gonna be sad, they're going off to the farm to live their little chicken lives. Yes, they should. Yes, but uh, so I was happy. I had nine fuzzy buddies at work for the past week after after they were born. So that's my walk-off win. What's happier than fuzzy animals? Nothing, honestly. Um, So Maggie, what is your walk-off win for this week? Um, My walk-off win is super timely and relevant to where everyone is right now, but um, I finally saw Avengers Endgame. Um, <laughs> Yay! <laughs> the did babysitter life is a tough one, man. I did love it. I really did. It was, it was, you know, I also, um, I'm also a Game of Thrones fan, so I've had sort of like a mixed experience mm. on that this season, but it was really great to go to the Avengers with my husband and the kids at home with their awesome aunt um, and just get to see like a really well thought out cap on what has been a very fun um movie franchise for me i did not see i've not seen every mcu movie um babysitters are expensive but uh saw most of the the key ones um thor is my favorite but it was yeah it was just it was a really fun movie it was really cleverly put together um they did i won't give anything away but they they kind of you know you always want your last 
you know, that your last segment to kind of call back to earlier parts of the story. And they did that in a really clever and fun way. So it's a good movie. Um, If you are even more behind the times than I am, you should go see it. Did you need tissues? I did. I actually, like in particular at the beginning, that hit me extremely hard. Um, Anything with family is a danger zone for me personally. There will be tears. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I might have to, I mean, I'm totally ignorant. I, like, haven't seen, like, any superhero movies. I've seen, like, a couple of them. So I'm, I'm very behind the times on that. But I may have to see this movie just because of City Field. So I may have yes. to just, like, give it a little <laughs> peek. Um, it's appropriate. Yes. Uh, so my walk-off win for this week um, is not Mets-related, but it is baseball-related. Um, and it's about a book I just finished. Um, we, we love books on this pod, and we're probably going to talk about books fairly often. We've already done a whole segment about books. Um, but I just finished up a baseball book called When the Crowd Didn't Roar, um, which is a book about the Orioles-White Sox game that was played um, with no fans in the aftermath of the uprising in Baltimore in 2015. Um, So those of you that know uh, me know that I live in Baltimore and have done for the past six years. Um, So I was in Baltimore during that time. Um, And I, you know, I felt the acute pain with everybody else with this city. Um, And I felt really, really sad during that time because, you know, I had spent... The past two years before that, when I moved to Baltimore, telling all my family and friends how much I loved it, how much the national reputation in Baltimore is not actually what this city is. Um, And then, you know, that happened. And, you know, all of a sudden CNN comes swooping in and wants to make the national narrative of Baltimore something that's straight out of the wire, um, when in reality, that's not the way this city is most of the time. Um, And I felt the pain of the people who were in the streets because they've been ignored by decades and decades of, you know, systemic racism. And it's just it's so tough to watch your city hurt like that. And I felt like, you know, I felt really, really hurt. And so to read a baseball book about that game um, and how, you know, it was both haunting but also healing for the city, it was such a well done book. Um, it was done by a, uh, it was written by a former Baltimore Sun columnist um, for many, many years. Um, and he did a fantastic job with this book. Um, and I just, you know, it, it, it reminded me so much of how I felt after the Piazza 9-11 home run. It reminded me a lot of that. The way that baseball has such a healing power, not only for a city, but the way baseball has a healing power for me personally and helps me, you know, deal with tragedy. Um, and I went to the first, um, game um after the uprising um when there were actually fans allowed back in the ballpark so after the game with no fans they went um to tampa that was supposed to be a home series but they changed it to a road series because of the circumstances in the city so they went to tampa and then they came back home and i went to that very first um game at camden yards that fans were allowed back in um and it was just it was probably the most most emotional time of my time in Baltimore. Um, and this book just captured it perfectly. So, you know, it was a cathartic read to say the least. So, um, if you're interested, if you're like a baseball nerd, or if you're interested in what happened, um, cause it wasn't just a baseball book. It was all about what led up to the uprising, different people's views about it. Um, and it was really good, uh, about covering that too. So if you're interested in either the circumstances in Baltimore in 2015 or the baseball game or both, highly recommend you check this book out. It's called when the crowd didn't roar. 
Um, so thank you so, so much for listening to another episode of A Pod of Their Own. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at A Pod of Their Own. You can also email us, aa.apodoftheirown at gmail.com. You can follow Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue and continue to check out all of our fantastic content. Maggie has a Dominic Smith piece coming down the pike. We have some other stuff lined up for you. Um, I am at Petite PhD on Twitter. Where are you, Linda? I'm at Linda Cerovich. How about you, Maggie? At Maggie162. Fantastic. Um, so if you can follow all of us on Twitter. The original music intro and outro to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crime. <laughs>